Good morning. Forgot to turn that on. Um, before we get started, I just want to, I just feel I'd be remiss to, to not honor um, Memorial Day uh, that, um, and just take a moment and uh, remember those who, who paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our freedom. So would you just, would you just join me in prayer? Um, Lord Jesus, um, on this Memorial Day weekend, um, we come before you to remember those who who bravely served our country, and, um, and as a result of that service, paid the ultimate price. Um, Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for friends. And so today, we are just um, humbled by their willingness to put their own lives aside for the benefit of, of us. We thank you, God. We ask for your blessing upon the families of those um, that have lost loved ones, uh, families and friends of, of good men and women who gave their last breath in defense of our nation, our freedom, and our children's future. I pray that, uh, that we would honor them, not just in moments of silence and three-day weekends, but Lord, that we would honor them by taking up the challenges that, that we rise up against in our day um, and defend those who can't defend themselves. And so Jesus, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, uh, we're, we're kind of uh, still in, a, uh, in our series on mission, which are kind of these two prophetic words as we head into 2023 and continue on that um, really I just feel like, you know, we're called to be living, living life on mission together. And, um, and as it was, the, the title of my message today is Good News, Bad News. And um, I don't know, I, I had someone recently ask me this question, would you like the good news or the bad news first, which I cannot stand that question. It is a loaded question. Um, so straw poll, uh, how many of you in here, given the choice, would say, I want good news first? Hit me. Hit me with the good news. Whoa. One, two, three, four. I can count them on one hand. Okay. And how many of you would say, uh, give me the bad news first? Yeah. Okay. I'm not alone. I was kind of hoping this would go this way. Um, I, full disclosure, am a bad news first guy. Like, just hit me with it. Like a two by four to the side of the head. Just do it. You know, like, hit me with the, with the, with the bad news. And, and I say this, at least, and maybe the most of you can, can understand this because you raise your hand as well. Um, I, I won't be able to appreciate the good news until you tell me the bad news. Um, because all I'm thinking about is how bad the bad news is going to be. I'm like, it's bad. How bad is it? Did someone die? Like, what, what's, what level of hell is bad news? Is bad news going to be? Like, this is gonna, it's bad. Is that, no, it's bad. All I'm thinking is that when you're telling me um, the good news. But truthfully, as I've just processed through this, um, hearing the bad news first doesn't really help me either. Because once I hear the bad news, it casts like a shadow on any good news that you have to tell me. Because it's like, really? Yeah, okay, you just told me this horrible news, whatever. And then you try to like put some like icing on top of a pile of, and it doesn't fix it. Like it doesn't, because all I'm thinking is you're trying, no, it, you can't just put icing on top of this stuff. Um, and, and the reality is this, that we place a priority on bad news. Um, it's what we focus on. It's what we give our attention to. It's what we tend to think about the most. And I know that I'm not alone in thinking like this. Um, we like to blame it on social media, 
Like, well, you know, social media's fault. Or we blame it on the mainstream news media. You know, they're just, yeah, they're just all negative news. It's just bad news all the time. And they do. They, you know, you watch the news for any length of time, and it's just regurgitating 24-7 bad news. Um, it's just like, hey, this just in. You thought it was worse? It got even worse. You know, like, and we're like, oh, how bad is the bad news? Like, we just gets, they just keep fee feeding us the same thing. I would like to submit to you something. Um, what if, what if they're simply feeding us what we want to consume? Like, what if our natural inclination is and has been to focus on the bad news over the good news? Like, one of the disheartening things that I've watched the American church specifically, I mean, I would say specifically over the past few years, is that we often seem to have more faith in bad news than in the good news. Um, we seem to put more time, put more effort, put more of our attention on, on the bad. Now, we wouldn't say it out loud. I mean, I wouldn't, right? We'd never say that out loud, but it's certainly what we talk about, what we we're tempted to give our attention to, 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 to focus on. And what ends up happening is the church becomes very defensive and we have no offense. We're just literally just responding to the bad news that, that is literally inundated with us, to us every single day, but we actually have no plan of offense. We're just playing defense. And I would argue that this isn't a new thing. This, isn't, this is not Facebook's fault. It's not CNN or Fox News, Newsmax, any of the news news place that you listen to. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul had to remind the church in Philippi about this as well. He says this in, in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, he's reminding them, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul's saying, hey, church, Philippi, you guys should be weird. Not just weird for weird's sake, you got that, but like odd, distinct, different, meditating on the good report while the world meditates on the bad news. Um, because as we live on mission together, like God calls us to have eyes to see beyond what is right in front of us. That's part of living on mission, is realizing that like, Yes, I am living in this world, but I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So even though I am living, eating, working, playing in the kingdom of this world, I am acting, behaving, thinking as, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Like, I honestly believe that one of the ways that the church could and should stand out is being a non-anxious presence in our world. Like refusing to panic, to bring peace into situations when everybody else only knows panic. To, to literally provide calm when everybody else is looking into politics for the answers. Like, what if, what if the church was a non-anxious presence in our world? And I say that not because you put your head in the sand, you're like, I just don't pay attention to anything. It's awesome, right? No, I mean, like, it just means that, like, you realize that 
there's more going on than meets the eye. Like God's up to something at a higher level than whatever is the click feed that is coming up on your news feed. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And it's, I love this scripture because it presupposes that people would be asking you that question. Like, tell me why you're different, why you're weird. How can you be calm? How, how can you have peace? In the, have you, do you not see what's going on? Like, do you, do, are, are you not on social media? Like, that question isn't asked unless you are thinking, behaving, acting different than the world than you're, that you're in. Because someone living on mission is aware that this life is not all that there is. There's more. There's, there's more to that, that we're living for than just what the world has to offer. And so it doesn't mean that we can't have nice things, we don't take care of ourselves and all those things. It just means like, oh, this isn't the end. Like, I, I don't amass all of these things so I can hold on to them and then, and then die and I somehow have achieved something. Like, people that are living on mission realize that there's much more to live for than just what our world has to offer. We look forward to the hope of eternity and the promise of heaven. Like, that there's more than just what is right in front of us. And, and God's mission doesn't change regardless of the mess that we find ourselves in. Do you realize that like, you could get on the news today and something could have catastrophically happened while we're in here and you were unaware of it, which I doubt because most of you have your phones and you're checking them. But like, if something were to happen, you got out of this, the reality is that God's mission doesn't change based upon the bad news. And that, that is the difficulty um, and the thing placed before us of living on mission, and it always has been. Is to, is to how do I, in the midst of bad news, focus on the good report and what it is that God's doing in the midst of it? Um, Mark chapter 8, verse 18 says this. Jesus said, Do you have eyes but fail to see, or ears but fail to hear? Like living on mission means having eyes to see what is beyond that which is before us and ears to hear beyond what the enemy is whispering. In other words, like anyone can read the news, but few understand the times. And when we talk about living on mission, it's more than just reading the news. It's choosing to see what God is doing in the time that we're living and coming alongside him in his great commission that he has before us, refusing to be distracted by all the bad news that may be going around. Um, see, God sees beyond the constraints that we see before us, that we live with them. This is why he tells us to do things that don't make a lick of sense. Have you ever noticed this? Like many of the things that as we read in our Bible that he tells us to do literally go against everything within us that we want to do or think that is rational and logical. He says things like this, um, pray over the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Mm, really? Like what? Pray? How? Do it? Do this? How? how what? You, you, then you're just going to do something that, like the doctor? I don't understand this. He says this: If you forgive others their their trespasses, then God will also forgive you. It kind of feels like if I let them off the hook, then then I'm trusting then that you're going to let me off the hook. 
That seems absolutely preposterous to me. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give them rest. He says, give, and it will be given. Pastor Tom read this. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into your lap. It kind of feels like when I give, I have less. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. When you give, you have more. That doesn't even make sense. Like, if you have any idea of how math works or economics work, that does not make sense. And yet, in the kingdom of God, it does. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. So what you're telling me is like getting caught is, is worse than getting away with it. Like I, I should confess my sin before God rather than just trying to not get caught. All of these things really don't make sense, the things that God puts before us, because they're outside of our power. They're outside of our control. They're outside of that thing that we can hold and manipulate and make our own. Like, they literally require you to take a step of obedience, even though you don't understand, even though you're full of doubt. And not only to take a step of obedience and say, okay, I'm going to choose to forgive this person who really doesn't deserve it. I'm going to choose to give, even though I really don't have extra. I'm going to choose to trust you that you're going to follow through and do the thing that you promised you said you would do, even though I have no control to make you do the thing that you said you'd do. It's a mess. And God's like, I, I, I actually am calling you. If you're living on mission, if you are following me, then I'm calling you to do things that you may not understand, you may doubt, and you may have questions over. And this is the same thing. It, this isn't new to us. This isn't new to your parents. This is, we look at, we just take a look at the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament. God had prophesied that he was going to give his chosen people this promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, which sounds really weird. But that was what they were, they were excited for, right? God's going, there was a promised land. We are no longer have to be slaves. We have a promised land that God has prepared for us. It's going to be awesome. But how many of you know that the process of possessing this promise took some faith? When you're a slave in Egypt and you got nothing and God's like, hey, I've got this promised land for you, but you're going to have to take a step of faith in order to possess it. Um, that's a whole nother thing of trusting that God's going to do on the other side something that you couldn't do on this side. Like, think of all these steps. They're slaves in Egypt. God says, I'm going to free them. He sends all these plagues. They are freed from Egypt. Why? Because Pharaoh says, let them go. Because Moses is like, let my people go. And he's like, fine, fine, fine. Get out of here. And they're trusting that, that God's going to protect them. All these people are leaving Egypt thinking, okay, we're not only trusting God that he's going to protect us, that he has a place prepared for us, but that this Yahoo that literally plague after plague after plague after plague, he kept, he kept say, saying he's going to do this and he never did it. Like, we have to trust that he's not going to come after us. And sure enough, what did he do? He came after them. This guy, like, are you kidding me, dude? He comes after them. God has to split the Red Sea, which is also a leap of faith, because who's the first guy that had to get his feet wet? Who's the, Like, literally, you're just like, ah, okay, this is crazy. I've never experienced anything like this before, and yet leaders are called to get their feet wet first. It's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith. And now they find themselves in the desert, and God speaks to Moses in the desert, and this is where I want to pick up this scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8. This is the word of the Lord to Moses. He says this, this word. Catch out the first word. See. He says, see, I've given you this land. 
Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now, I want you to remember, just keep it up there for one second. I want you to remember when God says, see, I've given you this land, there's nothing to see. They're not standing on the the edge of the town line, you you know, oh, we're about to cross over into, this is the promised land. And so they're not standing up on a a hill overlooking this fertile valley flowing with, with milk and honey. And like God says, see, this is what I've prepared for you. There's nothing to see. He's in the middle of the desert. And God says, see, I've given you this land, and land flowing with milk and honey. They're not on the edge looking at the thing that they're about to possess. They're They're drawing lines in the sand, and they're hot, and they're seemingly lost in the desert. Again, God calls us to see beyond what is in front of us. He's famous for it. He's famous for for giving us promises that we have yet to possess. He's famous for telling us to go and not giving us the whole plan. He's like, go. I've given you a vision. Just run. And you're like, run? Just go? Where? Just go. (laughs) Well, what's the plan? I'll show you along the way. It doesn't make me feel good. I don't like that. I'd like you to plan it all out, pre-fund it, give me the people, the places, the things, all this stuff. And God's like, no, I want you to go. I've given you a promise. Go possess it. Yeah, but I don't have it yet. I know. It's maddening. And then in Numbers chapter 13, verse 2, kind of switches over between, um, between Deuteronomy and Numbers. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. This is the promised land. Send some men. Um, And then he says, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So Moses gathers together. This is the 12 spies. He gathers gathers together 12 guys, 12 spies, to go out and to explore the promised land. That's, That's the whole point. This is what they're doing. Verse 17 of Numbers chapter 13 says this. When Moses sent them out to explore Canaan, he said... Go up through Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How's the soil? (laughs) Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So they have their objective. They have their strategy. Moses is like, all right, all you guys, 12, you all going to go, and you're going to go out there, and I want you to just see, go out and explore this land. They go for 40 days. They're gone for 40 days, and along the way, you can read it on your own time, they, along the way, they cut off a single cluster of grapes. Um, apparently, this cluster of grapes was so huge that it took two men to carry it on a pole in between them. Um, absolute, I've never seen grapes this huge. Um, it's pretty impressive. So at the end of the 40 days... Um, they come back to report the news. This, this is what we saw, all the, all the questions that Moses has, and to show off some ridiculously sized grapes. Um, and then in verse 30, it, this, is, this is the first time they speak to the people. Um, Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of that land, for we can certainly do it. So Caleb is 
like we can do this. Let's, let's go get it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. The other spies, the other 10, because there's Joshua and Caleb are kind of like the only two that are like, let's go, let's go. The other 10, they, they immediately chime in. Look what they say. Verse 31. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. And all you ancient alien theorists are like, ooh. Um, the descendants of Enoch came from the Nephilim, the giants. We saw giants in this land. Isn't it interesting that all 12 guys, they all saw the same land, yet they had very different reactions of what this land was like. Caleb comes up and he's like, dude, guys, the land was amazing. The grapes are huge. And, and the other 10 spies are like, the land was horrible. And the people are huge. And they're literally like, like, it's like, what in the world? You guys all saw the same place, right? The very different reactions, very different reports. And the reality is this, that the report you believe determines the news that you receive. And, and Caleb and Joshua were like, yeah, we got this. Let's go. Do you see these grapes? They're huge. And the other people were like, no, 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 no. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. I'm scared. They're huge. The people. Like, please understand, there's no doubt that this was the promised land. No doubt about that. All 12 spies are like, okay, yeah, this is the place. I mean, this is the promised land that God has given to us. He has prepared this. And God has prophesied about this promised land. He's prophesied it to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and now to Moses. And the story is already written. They know about this. This has been passed down orally to all of these people. They know about this promised land that God had prepared for them. He had freed them. He had already done all of this heavy lifting. He had split the, split the Red Sea. They crossed over, but they allowed a bad report to keep them from the promised land, which is it's interesting because they're like, well, the land was good. I mean, the grapes were juicy, but you should have seen those giants. How easy it is to allow a bad report to overshadow the promises of God. And, and, and it's not so much that they, um, it's one thing to recognize and to size up the people, Right? but those giants, the Nephilim. But where the wheels started to come off the bus for them is that they began to size up themselves in comparison to the people. We read it, and it's, you couldn't have writ, written it any better. In, in, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, this is what the other 10 spies say. This is their estimation of the land and their report. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I mean, that thing is loaded. It, Moses asked them to go size up the situation, and we should. We should size up the situation so that we know, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to encounter. Like, okay, size it up. But he never told them to size up themselves. And that's where it comes off the rails for the other 10 spies because they were reporting 
essentially they're allowing the fear to turn good news into a bad report. This is still good news. Man, have you seen these grapes? We carried them back. This is, I mean, this is the promised land, and they allowed their fear to turn good news of the promised land into a bad report. Watch the progression of how this all went down. I want to just kind of roll down through it really, really quick with you. It spins out of control. Verse 31, the 10 spies gather together like, we can't do it. We can't do it. They're stronger than us. And then in verse 32, they're like, no, not only that, they say this, the land devours those living in it. What does that even mean? Like, was like literally the earth opening up and eating people? Like, I have no idea. This comes out of nowhere. They're like, no, it devours everyone living in it. And then they're like, and all the people, every single one of them were giants. All of them? I thought you just said that you saw some Nephilim in there. Now everyone's a giant. Yes, yes, we were like grasshoppers <laughs> compared to them. Like, are you kidding me? This gets absolutely outlandishly ridiculous as they tell the story. It starts out with like, ah, we can't do it, to like, we are like grasshoppers compared to them. Are you kidding me right now? It goes, ab- it goes from like negative to outlandish to ridiculous. Because see, the other 10 spies were reporting out of their fear rather than out of the facts. And they saw that their weakness was bigger than God's strength. That is the key. Because I don't know if you noticed this, but if you can look down through it again, not one time was God mentioned. Not one time was the power of God considered in any of this. In the, in the bad report for the other 10, not one time was God considered as like, oh yeah, well, that's true. God does go before us and fight for this. Yeah, okay. Because when you fall into this comparison trap where you are literally comparing yourselves to others, you will continually focus on your weakness rather than on God's strength. You'll continually focus on your shortfalls, your shortcomings, your past and disqualifications rather than God's strength in your life. Listen, if if you are measuring God's plan by what you can accomplish on your own, your measuring stick will always be too small. Always. Um, make no mistake, the Bible says that there were actual giants there. Uh, you know, those of you who study about the Nephilim, you're all into the Nephilim, I get that. Okay, cool, 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 cool. It doesn't say that they seemed like giants, it says they were giants. These, these people were there. I mean, there, they, these, there were giants in the land. They were not exaggerating the truth. What was happening here is that they were minimizing God. So they're telling the truth. They're like, there were giants in there. Not all of them, but they, yeah, there were, there were Nephilim. We saw them, the descendants of Anak. They were there. They were, they were huge. It's not that they were exaggerating the truth and making it bigger than it was. They're actually just minimizing God and his power and his influence in the, the entirety of all this. And so the people hear the bad news, the bad report about the good news, really. Let's not forget, this is good news. The whole thing is good news. Hey, we know the land. God's shown it to us. He says to go and take possession of it. This is all good news. The grapes, did you check these things out? They're huge, right? This is all good news. They have a bad report about it. And the people, all of the people hear the bad report about the good news and watch what happens. Numbers 14, verse one. That night, 
all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They're a hot mess. And then it says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, back to slavery? And they said to each other, we, we sh- I know what the problem is. It's politics. <laughs> I, that's the problem here. We should choose a leader, a new one, a better one, on the other side of the aisle to go back to Egypt. That's what we should do. That's going to fix everything, doesn't it? That escalated quickly. Okay. Um, here's, the, here's the point. Bad reports have a way of going viral, don't they? It's the same night. They didn't get one night into this, and they're all like, ah, weep, weep, weeping aloud. Um, and they listen to this bad report about the good news, and they yell, they cry, they grumble, they blame, they despair of life itself, and the entire community refused to move forward into the promise. The reality is, is that you can literally be carrying hope on your shoulder and yet be so concerned with the huge giants that you have yet to encounter that you never move forward to possess what God has already promised. What's incredibly sad to me is that they spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert. They're blaming God, blaming their leaders, when it was actually, actually their own inaction that caused it. Their own disbelief that caused it. Because... Here's the reality for all of us. It's always easier to blame other people as an excuse for our own inaction. See, church, God can work with your weaknesses, but he can't work with your inaction. And sometimes we look at our weaknesses and we think that they disqualify us. On the contrary, God actually loves working with your weaknesses, and he actually sees them as capacity for his power. We're like, oh, no, it disqualifies me. And God's like, oh, no, this is awesome. I love your weaknesses. They actually make me look better. Let me, don't believe me? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God said to me, he said to me, this is Paul, Paul writing, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I look real good on your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Really? I delight in them. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships, in in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is saying that his good report is not determined by bad news. It's good report. It's not determined by bad news. And I'll be honest, like some of you are, are waiting for good news in order to have a good report. Um, but you don't have to wait 
for the news media to give you good news in order to have a good report. If you're waiting for that, you will be waiting a very long time. Do you realize that God isn't as concerned about what is on CNN or Fox as you are? I mean, he cares. Don't get me wrong. He just lives outside of time. He lives outside of the 24-hour news cycle that we live within. Like, living on mission means that, that God wants you to see what he has already given you. He wants you to perceive what he's already doing in your midst. He wants you to hear his voice over the voice of the crowd or the voice of fear. And that, that folks, that's what Caleb heard. That's what Caleb and Joshua saw. That's what they perceived. And I love how they respond. Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. They, these are the two guys that were like out of the 12. They said, they were, who were among those who had, art, who had explored the land, tore their clothes. It's a lot. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through, all of us, and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. And do not rebel against the Lord. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I love how Caleb is like, yeah, 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 those giants were big. Yeah. That's some bad news. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But it doesn't affect my good report. You check out these grapes, they're huge, right? You check out our God, he's huge, right? He's like, last time I checked, our God is bigger than those Nephilim. Last time I checked. Last time I checked, our promise is so much better than the problems that we see in front of us. I love how the psalmist writes this in Psalm 112. He says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. And then verse 7, it says this, They will have no fear of bad news. They will have no fear of bad news. I kind of wish it would say that the righteous will have no bad news. It doesn't say that. It actually says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Bad news comes. It says their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. In other words, you may get bad news, but that does not determine your good report. The word of a... The word of the Lord for us today is like, quit focusing on the giants and focus on them grapes. They're huge. Quit focusing on the problems and focus on the promise that he's laid before you. And quit focusing on the bad news and focus on your good report. Because when we're living on mission, living on mission is moving forward and walking into what God has already given you. It's taking hold of that which he's already promised. It's, taking, it's, it's moving forward and possessing that which he has prepared for you already. What is he calling you into? That may be fear, insecurities, weaknesses, or bad report has kept you from. Why don't you stand with me?
it's easy to look at these 10 spies. They get a bad rap, I'm going to be honest. And it's easy to be like, they were all distracted. However, I don't think that these 10 spies were even aware that they were distracted. Because the thing about distraction is that you can't call something a distraction unless you're aware of the thing that you're being distracted from. Like, if you don't have a focus, if you're not beginning with the end in mind, then what somebody would call a distraction is just seems to be another thing that you're giving your attention to. It's just another thing that you're, that you're focusing on. But if these spies had started with the end in mind, that, that God had freed them, that God had rescued them, that had, God had split the Red Sea, that they had walked on dry ground, that God had prophesied and prepared for them a promised land, then they wouldn't have allowed the giants to paralyze them. They, they wouldn't have allowed their fear to put a false ceiling on the promises of God and say like, yeah, it was great, the grapes are awesome, it, it was really a, a nice little trip, but those giants... We can't do it. It's too much. It's too big. They would have seen it for what it was, a distraction, a bad report on some really good news. I would just say this to us as a church. It's, I, I believe it's time for the church to rise and to be indistractable. And quit focusing on bad news and focus on the good report, and focus on what is it, God? Not, anyone can read news, but what are the times that we're living in? God, what is it that you're doing in our midst that I should be focused on? That the church would be alert, awake, different, aware, aware of the times that we're in, moving forward, not paralyzed, not on the defensive, but moving forward on mission, into what it is that God has, not allowing a bad report to distract us from the good news, living on mission together. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24 says, but because my servant Caleb has, and these words have been echoing in my, in my mind, has a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. Why? Because he follows me wholeheartedly. And I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. It says that Caleb had a different spirit. How can you tell he had a different spirit? Because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly, fully. He was all in. Caleb saw the same giants as all the rest of them did. He just didn't let them to distract him from his good report. And the blessing, this is what I love, the blessing that he walked in was that his descendants would take possession of the land. Make no mistake that when you choose to walk in obedience, even though you doubt, even though you don't understand how God is going to work all this out, blessing always follows obedience. May we be a people who have a different spirit. People who choose to just obey God wholeheartedly, fully, like people who, who are undistracted, focused, living on mission, people who don't fear the bad news and allow it to keep us from obeying God. Lord, I pray for each and every single person in our midst here today, even those online. I pray that, that something would come alive in us. Maybe we just realize that we've been focusing 
a whole lot on the bad news that is literally poured through our screens on a daily basis, regurgitating over and over and over again. And maybe we don't even realize the residue that has built up on our shoulders that we carry that keep us from moving forward in the things of God. Realizing that that he has a good report, he has a promise, he has prepared something, he has, he has a future, not just for you, but for your children and your children's children. And you know what? It depends on you moving forward. Because we won't get to go up to heaven one day and, and blame it on our leaders or blame it on other people. All we have is the thing that, we've, that has been placed in our hands, the mission that has been laid before us, and God says, join me in it, the great commission, and watch me do something greater than you could ever do on your own. And if you are measuring what I can do by what you can do, your measure stick is always going to be too short. And so, Jesus, I give it over to you. Lord, I pray that as, even as we enter into this last song, God, whatever it is that has been weighing on us, we give that over to you again. Those impossible things, those giants that are so big in our lives, whatever those giants are, we turn it over to you, Jesus, because it was in your heart anyways. I pray that you would restore what seems irreparable. I pray that you would provide when it seems we have nothing. I pray that you would be our all in all when we feel like we've literally only have lack. Lord, do what only you can do as we choose to trust you wholeheartedly, fully, fully to walk into your promises. Have your way in Jesus' name. Let's worship.